Welcome to Veteran Voices, a podcast dedicated to giving a voice to those that have served in the United States Armed Forces. On this series, jointly presented by Supply Chain Now and Vets to Industry, we sit down with a wide variety of veterans and veteran advocates to gain their insights, perspective, and stories from serving. We talk with many individuals about their challenging transition from active duty to the private sector, and we discuss some of the most vital issues facing veterans today. Join us for this episode of Veteran Voices. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton here with you on Veteran Voices. Welcome to today's show. Uh, so today we're going to be talking with a fellow United States Air Force veteran that is doing some really big things in the business community. So stay tuned for what promises to be a really informative and intriguing conversation. Hey, quick pro programming note before we get started here today. So this program is part of our Supply Chain Now family of programming. You can find Veteran Voices, though, wherever you get your podcasts from. We, sh we conduct this show in partnership with our friends at Vets2 Industry. I'll tell you, you got to learn more about this powerful nonprofit doing big things for the veteran community at Vets2Industry.com. Okay, no further ado, I want to introduce our special guest here today. I had an opportunity to connect with our guest. It's been probably two or three weeks ago. I tell you, I was blown away. I had about 18 pages of notes. Our guest is involved in a lot of really important initiatives, both from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from an innovative standpoint, from a service standpoint. So get this. Our guest graduated from Howard University with a degree in computer-based information systems and then went on to earn a variety of advanced degrees from a couple of schools, including an MBA from the Red McCombs School of Business at the University of Texas. He's a founder and global professor at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, where he developed and launched the first esport and gaming curriculum club and lab, the trifecta as he calls it, at a historically black college or university, HBCU. So groundbreaking work there. Our guest has entrepreneurship and service running through his blood. You'll pick up on that, which we'll learn more about throughout today's conversation. He's a valued board member and volunteer leader serving many organizations, initiatives, and on boards and whatnot. Please join me in welcoming John L. Cash. John, how you doing? Doing well today, Scott. Thanks for having me again. And thanks to the audience out there. And it's really funny. I'll just share this real quick. I just got an unstable internet thing on my screen. So as we all continue to work from home, if I lose everyone, it's not because I'm not having fun. It's because technology is in the way. But anyway, I'll, I'll get because of that, I'll let Scott continue. Great to awesome. be here. <laughs> Great to have you. And hey, Murphy's Law is still alive and well. I know technology is doing some incredible things and and more inv innovative things by the hour. But still, we're all fighting for our bandwidth these days, aren't we? <laughs> right. So in, 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 in all transparency, right before I kicked off this uh, platform, Zoom here, I kicked off all three of my kids off of the internet to protect our bandwidth here in home studios. But nevertheless, so John, again, I enjoyed our conversation a little while ago. We've got several great friends in common. I really admire so much of the work you're doing. So it's a pleasure to have you here. And so we can dive a little bit deeper, but before we get to the heavy lifting stuff, right? Let's get a sense of, of, of more about John Cash. Where sure. are you from? Tell us about your upbringing and then we'll get to when you join the military. So tell us, give us a little, the goods on your upbringing. Sure. Um, again, John Cash, I'm a native of Washington, D.C., grew up in Anacostia, for those who may be 
familiar. Again, I know I have a lot of military veterans on the call, so that might be familiar with the DC area, be it the Pentagon, Andrews Joint Air Force Base, or some of the other uh, establishments there, including Fort Belvoir. So although I grew up in Anacostia in Southeast, a rough area, uh, it might be gentrified now, who knows? I haven't been there in two years. I could see all the monuments and the White House and everything as a kid, but it was a totally different world for me. When I was growing up and uh, for one period there for approximately three years, unfortunately, Washington DC was the murder capital of the country driven by the crack trade. Uh, crack again being powder cocaine and that's a whole different story. But through those uh, difficulties, I knew that there was more and more opportunity. Played sports to keep out of trouble and also supported my community through parking planning and Boys and Girls Club initiatives. Uh, lo and behold, where I went to school, right there, undergrad in, at Howard University. I was recruited for football and track. And although I visited probably seven institutions where I had scholarships, I decided to stay at Howard. It was actually my first visit. And I was just drawn there and I, I felt like I was at home. One little great little factoid, I became my high school's first junior Air Force ROTC commander because I was skipping a class in 11th grade and uh, walking the halls and I, lo and behold, went into the uh, auditorium and there was this Bostonian who colonel, retired colonel who was a uh, Korean War veteran pilot, Anglo, and then an African-American crusty chief master sergeant, Air Force. And I was just intrigued by the both of them. And to this day, my one wish, one wish of mine is if I had the opportunity to tell them both how much they meant. Those two men were the reason why I was able to secure a scholarship after I finished playing sports at Howard University, an Air Force ROTC scholarship, Detachment 130 at Howard, and there thus was commissioned a second lieutenant. Wow. Uh, went on and got into my career. So hey, before we go, hey, John, before we move forward, what are those two gentlemen's names? Uh, Colonel McNulty and Chief Johnson. Okay. And Lord knows I can't remember their first names, That's but Colonel okay. McNulty was from Boston. He might have gone to Boston College. I can't remember. And Chief Johnson. I love that. And, and Colonel and McNulty, I think, flew F-4 Phantoms mm. during the Korean War, I believe. But two endearing men in my life. Well, no wonder they probably didn't let you be on a, on a first name basis, right? I, I just like the military, <laughs> they, right? They beat me up pretty good. <laughs> Before I came back, you know, that was between my 11th and 12th grade year. And so I had to attend a junior RTC encampment at Andrews Air Force Base, which was right in the city in the DMV for me. So not that hard, but I was there for four weeks during the summer between my 11th and 12th grade year. And that, again, changed my trajectory and my intent to become an Air Force officer because, again, I always have had a quality of service and no higher service than to serve your country. And you can complain and bitch and moan all you want. But either you can be part of the problem or you can try to be part of a solution. Yeah. My goal is always to be try to be part of a solution. And well said. Uh, I, I still appreciate my days in military. So that's a little bit about my upbringing and, and how I got into and graduated from Howard University received my commission. Love it. You're certainly an individual of action, like what you're just talking about, being a part of the solution. We'd be here all day if I read off all the all of your volunteer leadership work and, and the board you serve and, and some of the things you founded and, and served in advisory roles. And I love that. Uh, and it also 
what I've picked up on in, in our earlier conversation and just kind of getting a sense of who you are there, you're involved. It's not in one pigeonhole or another. You're, you, you dabble across kind of across industry. And that is such a wonderful, you learn so much and, and so much can be applied from this sector to this sector, from this organization to this organization. So uh, no wonder you're tapped uh, for a variety of, of, of leadership roles. So let's move into your military career. So tell us a little more about what you did in the Air Force as an officer. And then we'll talk about some of the people you worked with. Sure. At the time when I was going in, technology was really blasting off, Scott. So at Howard University, although I really like business, I was a business major, I focus on computer-based information systems. To be quite frank, that's where the Air Force wanted me to focus. Not that I love technology that much or coding per se. I did like systems analysis and design, mm. but straight coding all the time really wasn't my cup of tea. But I still went through it, was very excited about my assignment. And when I was able to select an assignment, I had either Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma as an opportunity, off at Air Force Base in Nebraska, or Scott Air Force Base in, right outside St. Louis. And I yep. selected Scott because, again, I'm a big city kid. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to what I think is a major city. I love my experience at Scott. And, you know, lo and behold, I didn't know it at the time, but as some of the Air Force uh, members out there and maybe some other uh, of my fellow military uh, service people know, Scott has been home to headquarters MAC, which was Military Airlift Command, also Air Force Communications and Control, or Communications Command, and also TRANSCOM at the time, TRANSCOMMAND. Uh, I, I was basically a computers communications officer responsible for opportunities of loading up programming and assets that were used around the world to ship, to track cargo and opportunities for Mac and AFCC, and then became commander uh, leading initiatives on the navigation system for the C-17 in a joint project with the manufacturer. After I was uh, just promoted to captain. Can I interrupt uh, you just for a second? Sure. Because, you know, we love supply chain here at supply right. chain now. And, you know, the military it's been said thousands of times, created supply chain logistics. And what okay. you just shared there is really interesting because all the rage now, of course, in the private sector and global supply chain is visibility. And what you were just illustrating is, you know, years ago that the military was already, they were already big in the visibility of their logistics and of freight because it's tough to fight. It's tough to project force if you don't know where your your materials are, right? So visibility, right. so once again, you're, you're kind of illustrating a lot of the advanced thought around logistics and supply chain that the military has and, and, and to some degree continues to have. I mean, we, we all have our challenges, but still, I, I love that little uh, shout out, tracking freight. But you are, you're exactly right, Scott, because think about it, Military Airlift Command was my client. So everything that we were loading on a C9, C141, C17, C5, and then leveraging the Air Force Computer Command, uh, Communications Command, which included computers, to, to program, manifest, and track that information. That was part of the job. And then and then the actual computer programming and logistics included. So you're absolutely right when you think about that, how those skills are definitely transferable from the military to corporate. Very. Now I was industry. I completely agree with you. Now I, I was not, an, I was an enlisted airman in the Air Force. And, and I love how you just rattled off several of our, some of our favorite aircraft. Uh, we had KC-135s at McConnell and Wichita and right. numerous exercises. I was loading, I, I was, I was loading the freight into 
not the belly, but but the uh, the you know, the main cargo of the the KC-135s and strapping it down. And that I got a, a newfound appreciation for all of the hardworking folks that that make freight move today, regardless That's of right. what sector you're talking about. So I love this, uh, it, it, and clearly. I love it's, it's almost like you're a student of Air Force history. So I, I'm really I'm going to get some popcorn in a minute, but keep going. Yeah. And, and Scott, what you're mentioning, I mean, everybody knows what happened in the Suez Canal last month. And so I was like, wow. And we, and for the folks in supply chain, you guys know it intimately. What, what were they we were losing as a on a global level? About a billion dollars a day. And so that was slowing down all the supply chains. We don't have to talk about it. We know what the microchip, not the chips. Yeah, the chips that are used basically in everything. They're talking about that's why cars are so expensive because you don't have enough chips for that. Right. We've depleted our, our supply of computer chips and that's why our computers are so short. So, you know, I have a great appreciation of that and I'm sure everybody work, working here uh, on this call also. So again, I, I did computers, communications, and then I wanted to be challenged even more. Um, from first lieutenant to captain, I had the opportunity and I was selected for combat control training and um, as a combat controller. So I applied, I was selected, I went through initial training, but due to a service disabled injury, although I completed initial training, at, at the time it was called No Hope Pope Air Force Base. This subsequently <laughs> has been merged into Fort Bragg because we did initial training at both Pope and Bragg. But I, I had service-disabled injuries. I'm a 100% service-disabled vet right now. So my passion point has always been uh, service-disabled veterans and youth, and you'll see that a little bit more later. But unfortunately, I was, I was medically discharged and could not continue, and that kind of broke my heart. And at the same time, I was always looking for what's next. And so I was thinking about getting my MBA or getting a law degree while I was in the military. And then I just decided to get out. I would stay in the reserves because I at least qualified to still do that and be a desk jockey. But went on and got out and then got my MBA. I applied for both law school and my MBA. And I really wasn't passionate about law. It was one of those sexy sounding things. But I went on and got my MBA. I was selected at the University of Texas. That was one of the schools I applied to. And I really fell in love with University of Texas because quite frankly, Regardless of whatever you want to say about that state, that state loves veterans and it, it appreciates its military. Mm -hmm. And that transcended to the university for those who might think it's a super liberal school. You know, I, I'm not going to get into politics here. All I know is I had a great time at Texas. I got my degree and I always wanted to get into marketing and brand marketing was interesting to me. And that's what I majored in because brand marketing was the closest thing of running your own business with somebody else's money. <laughs> and so I uh, interned with Procter & Gamble because they invented brand marketing. So I had a summer internship with them. And then I, I took a first job in, with General Mills in brand marketing, did brand marketing for several years, also did it for Coca-Cola. I, I like to push myself and work for the best. So Procter & Gamble is a Fortune 50 company. Coca-Cola is a Fortune 50 company. And I always want to try to improve myself and, and do my best. And then I did a pivot into sport entertainment. I love sport entertainment. I love marketing. I, I appreciated it being an athlete growing up on sports like a lot of folks. I just was engaged in it. And that's when I really found out if you know if you can sell, you'll always have a career. So to the to the folks out there 
whether, whether it's selling your services and your skills and supply chain, if you're a subject matter expert, that's great. You can leverage that, but be great at something. And so I would say a lot of people can go wide and not go really deep. I would suggest that you work on going deep, you know, focusing and going deep. And that way, nobody can take that away from you. Excellent. But I did work in sport entertainment and banking. And, you know, I'll pause right there for you, Scott. But yeah. I, I had some senior roles in those areas. You're sharing so much. I want to I want to dive into and, and, and ask you some follow up questions. So I'm going to work my way back and then we'll, we'll sure. come back forward. So so going back to I'm going to have to remember no hope, Pope, but going back to your time in uniform before you transitioned out and you're, you're kind of sharing that journey. But share a couple of folks, regardless of station, that were really special while you were serving folks that either either they worked for you or you worked beside them or, or you reported to them. Who are some folks that made your journey in uh, serving our country really special? Uh, I would have to say it's been a selection of people. So let me start off with my first commander at Scott Air Force Base. Her name was it was Colonel Elaine Leonard, a woman who was at the time a commander at, you know, commander of my, my unit and a colonel. So I have a lot of respect for her because we talk a lot now about DEI and women's rights and people of color and senior positions and what have you. Back when I was serving, you know, that was not common. Mm. And for her to be a colonel and achieve those ranks and to be very, and not that she, I didn't think she was sufficient or anything, nothing like that. Don't get me wrong. I've always had a high regard and I have no problem with equality. I have a mother who was the first to go to college, moved up from a GS2 to a GM12 within the federal government, retired and took care of three big old guys in the household, myself, my wow. brother, who's 6'5", and my father, who's 6'5", and a former football player, pro, pro football player. I was the runner of the family. So I always held high regards for women and what they do, no problem here. But I, would, I really admired her and how she led and everything else. And then also Lieutenant Colonel McNulty, because he really brought a, a can-do business aspect to the job. So those two individuals were very important as well as our civilian staff, especially a gentleman named uh, Blankenship. I think he was like a GS-14, crusty old guy, but he knew the intricacies of the business because he worked at Scott and worked for Mac and AFCC for so long. So those are some of the individuals that, you know, I always looked at people that could help lead, but I had great admiration also for one of our staff sergeant. This cat, did programming and implementation on a global basis. And he would go, you know, we would have trips together, but he was always out, whether it was the Azores, Ryan, Maine, Philippines, Guam, doing implementation of systems huh. and upgrades of systems. That's just the global travel, some of the global travel. I'm maybe going to start with the local, <laughs> with the CONUS travel. Uh, look at me, I'm going back to CONUS now. But anyway, CONUS travel. So those are some of the people that I admired and, you know, who really took what they were doing and knowing that they were making a difference in people's lives every day. And for the appreciation of the supply chain people, again, we were tracking movement of su supplies, equipment, and we're talking about during contingencies, whether it's Panama, other, other opportunities in South America, I'll just place it like that, as well as Desert Shield and Desert Storm we mm. were integrated with. 
So, so much there, so many more stories, so much to talk about, too little time, as always. Let's talk about, a uh, while you were in uniform, a key eureka moment. You, you've shared, clearly, a lot of great people, referenced lots of, of key takeaways and lessons learned. What's a, a key eureka moment you had during your time? The biggest one is, and, you know, it's always a realization you go through every day. But one critical piece, as we all know, it's about relationships. Because although I was an officer and I could actually, you know, provide orders and give people orders, I more, much more prefer building a relationship out of respect, not out of intimidation because of my rank. And so I prided myself in developing mutually beneficial relationships with all troops or civilians, be they my seniors, my peers, or my subordinates. So that's something, of course, you kind of know throughout life, but when you get into a professional setting, it's even more so. And again, when I was in the service, there were no, you know, all of these courses and everything about, right. uh, you know, relationship building and everything. But it's one of those things of getting to really appreciate people and have a, and have, and you've heard this before, have a servant mentality mm. because your best leaders are those who, who regard servitude highest. Yeah. Well said. Love that. Okay. So uh, as we talked, I'm a, I'm a fast forward now back to your transition out of the Air Force that you referenced mm -hmm. earlier. If you had to give, if, if any of our listeners in our, our global community, regardless of what country of, of the armed forces they're serving, you know, if a lot of folks are, are either in transition or they're preparing for transition, and gosh, I know I made plenty. I made so many stupid mistakes, you know, almost 20 years ago when I, when I transitioned, I just wasn't prepared. And I, I own that, you know, I, I made many assumptions that were not uh, accurate. So if you had to speak to folks and, and offer two or three points of advice beyond what you we've already, what you've already shared, what would that be? In regards to transition, Scott? Yes, sir. Transitioning out. The first all, first is make sure you've done your due diligence of if this is the right move for you. Don't be reactionary. If you had a bad review, if you don't like your assignment, you know, those are temporary things that can be changed. You get your annual review every year. You can get reassigned to another post. Really do your soul searching on why you want to make a transition. That's number one and most important. And, and again, if you're married or with children, make sure you're looking at that as a collective experience. The next is if you still want to make the transition, what is your action plan? What is the vision, goals, objectives, strategies, and tactics that you are going to incorporate to make sure you meet your goals? Whatever that is. When I was coming out, again, we didn't have internet and Google and all this stuff and all these resources. You all have over 600 pieces of resources now that I know of. Why do I know? Because I serve as chairperson on Bets to Industry. Check us out, www.bets.com the number two, industry.com. We are a resource provider. We don't find you jobs. Right. But look at us as a repository of support. And, you know, so I had, it was one junior military officer initiative program I went to, and I actually secured three opportunities out of that initiative. Wow. But, you know, so the next, next thing is, is to leverage your resources. And again, relationships. Leverage the relationships, start building them now. Don't wait till you're two months. If you're a year out, two years out, the earlier, the better to give you more time to do your due diligence. And again, reach out for support. Nobody is successful by themselves. 
There is no I in team. So don't feel like, you know, well, I got to do this myself, having this machistic attitude. Everything <laughs> is done by relationships, right. ladies and gentlemen. So that's the second piece. Do your research and relationships and then be discerning because what I have seen and what can happen is you want to take that first thing that you see. Don't do that. One of the things we teach with Vets to Industry, the non-for-profit I support, is that when you look at the retention rate of veterans that are immediately get out and get a position, that retention rate with that existing company uh, is much lower than a civilian. And that's because I feel that veterans are too fast to jump at the first thing that they get. And then they find out, well, I got something, but I really don't care for it. But at least they're out and they can make a transition to something else. I'm just saying, take your due diligence. So those are the three things that I would share, Scott. Outstanding advice. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time to, to, to share that perspective with folks that are struggling because many veterans, I mean, I, I struggled my transition for sure. And I, and I wish I had folks giving me sound advice like that. And I can't tell you enough, you know, this is not a vets to industry commercial, but John and I both are big believers in what they do. It, information is absolutely power. And I wish I had more when I was transitioning, you know, vets to industry, as, as John said, is a clearinghouse. And, and the more, you know, the more options you'll have, the better informed you'll be, the more discerning, as John mentioned, you can be. So do that. And, and the other big thing he shared, start, you can't start early enough. I mean, just a simple stuff like LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's free for a year, I believe for veterans start making you get those the premium service on LinkedIn for a year as a veteran. Wow. That, that is a huge resource because as John mentioned, the, the relationships will drive opportunities. So start building that network. Okay. This is great stuff, John. Now, all right. So you, I think you, you kind of brought us to when it comes to your, your civilian side, you just touched on banking before I took you back to the military. So if you want to, um, I'd love for you to maybe finish your, your professional journey, and then we'll talk about some of the great things you're doing now. Sure. So again, I'm still in my profession and I'll, I'll get to that. But I had a great opportunity with Bank of America to lead. I was a senior vice president position leading uh, multicultural marketing. I found out later, though, that the company really wasn't dedicated to it and there was a transition. And uh, this isn't a plug for Bank of America, but I will admit during the, when, when my position in the whole group dissolved, Bank of America went out of their way to find me other opportunities. So I'm always will be appreciative of that. And, you know, change is the only constant in life. So remember mm -hmm. that, whether it's the military, corporate, whatever. But I um, loved what I did because I actually managed some of Bank of America's sporting and event activations. So I was looking at doing more of that. But I had an opportunity. I was recruited to a marketing advertising agency and I worked there for six years. And I love that because I got to work across industries with various clients, again, being of service, understanding what success looks like for those clients. So my clients included Wells Fargo, AARP, actually IRC, which at the time owned, well, were half of the NASCAR racetrack. So I, I cut my teeth in NASCAR, been to Talladega, Charlotte Speedway. So that was an experience. And um, so that, that was a great experience. And then I got recruited to Learfield IMG Sports Entertainment. Wow. And there I launched the first HBCU, was Historically Black College and Universities, properties, the MEAC conference, which is a conference that Howard University is in. So I managed those collegiate sponsorships. So what I did there was develop 
sales and marketing programs with sponsors. So corporate sponsorships included Coca-Cola, for example. Actually, we had several services. The U.S. Marine Corps was my client. The U.S. Army was my client. And so those will all be activated at, at sporting events within the MEAC. And uh, Learfield IMG continues to be the largest multimedia rights company. So for all you college football fans, whether you are Ohio or uh, University of Michigan, there is a general manager managing those properties or conferences for you. And so I did similar roles also with Van Wagner Sport Entertainment for another HBCU conference. And then I had the opportunity all this time I've been teaching. Over the past five years, I've been teaching at Johnson C. Smith. That's one of the ways I look back at giving back of service. Once I uh, moved from Atlanta, where I spent 14 years, to Charlotte, where I've been for six years, some people asked, hey, would you mind teaching? We saw your background. And so, yeah, I taught in the business school, marketing, management, um, sport entertainment, in their sport entertainment program. And then I did the research into esports gaming about two years ago. Before you go there, John, I want, I want you strike me as you know. We all have yesterday, and, and and in terms of not when folks are listening to this, but when we record, yesterday was National Teachers Day, and it made right. me do a mental yeah. exercise of all the folks that had a big impact on my journey, my kids' journey. So a lot of favorite teachers. You strike me as a wonderful teacher, and I bet you get lots of feedback from your students, especially because it seems like it comes from a a spot that passion, right? So what, what's been, during your time teaching, what's, a, what's a, a moment that really made you stop and say, man, this is exactly why I'm doing this? Um, the aha moment of teaching for me is when my students really click because of the experience, industry experience that I have, and I can relate it to them. So, I mean, I can talk about running the Bank of America Atlanta football classic you know, I could that could be in a textbook, but I actually did it. So I had to do the marketing, the advertising, the media, it ran on ESPN, all of that. So I, I teach by experience. That's why I like doing it mm. versus and not, not to take away from teachers or professors who are tenured and do that. Right. But I'm the type of learner that always learn from people who, who have done it. Right. That's the way I like to learn. And that's what I think I like to give. But Scott, to your point, I guess the biggest success has just come within the last year of teaching. With the esports gaming program that was launched in February, uh, January 2020, mm-hmm. in less than a year and a half, I, for this summer, I secured 12 internships with industry-leading companies for 12 of my students. That's awesome. Five with Epic, I mean, yeah, five with Epic Games, which is located in Cary, North Carolina. They're the developers of Fortnite. Riot Games out of Santa Monica, California. They're developers of Valorant of League of Legends. And then another two with um, Twitch. Now, one of the Twitch, those are other students at other schools. One we're trying to secure at Howard University, my alma mater, and one at North Carolina A&T. And these are high paying computer science internships with Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. So, you know, those have been really great opportunities. Now, these are all remote assignments because of COVID and everything. So instead of being in sunny Santa Monica or in Cary, North Carolina, you know, (laughs) the students will be at home or wherever they reside, but at least they get quality education in the industry. So that's been, that's been my greatest satisfaction so far, but a little bit of background on the way that I love to learn and the way I love to teach. I rarely teach out of a textbook. I just look at the content 
and apply my experience to what's going on. Love it. All right. And, 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 you know, there is a tremendous value, you know, intern, the internship that the word intern has, has, um, it doesn't do value enough to the folks that serve in those roles and fill those internship programs and the impact they can have. In fact, here at supply chain now, our, our interns technically we renamed it as the associates because we didn't okay. like the the uh, right. what it implies. They, and they've I been like incredibly valuable. So I love that because folks, you know, those twelve folks are going to have life probably life changing experiences through those internships. And we were just we had uh, Brian Fallon with uh, a high ranking executive with IBM on with us not too long ago, and uh, his whole time that IBM started with an internship. That's the power of these things. So if you're yeah. a business leader, listen to this. Take a minute and listen and invest in internships. Um, okay, so John, where are we going next? You were about to jump in more into esports, where you're you're essentially a trailblazer. Uh, so tell us more about uh, esports. Tell us more about this first, the East first esport and gaming curriculum club and lab at Johnson C Smith University. What 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 does that mean? Sure, let me give a setup for you, Scott. Again. I bow down, <laughs> this is the funny thing, but I bow down to three uh, entities, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, market researchers and entrepreneurs. <laughs> That's a little bit about me. But again, at the end of the day, I'm a businessman, guy. guys. I'm here to do one thing, drive incremental revenue, do it in a profitable manner while increasing brand image, equity, and consideration. And if I have to, at the expense of the competition. That's all business is about. That's what I do. So when I was looking at the esports piece, I mean, it came up a couple of years ago, just looking at trends and opportunities within sport entertainment. Now, yeah, I played Madden, NBA 2K. I was one of those kids punching quarters into arcade games, <laughs> playing Tetris and Pac-Man. But, you know, I did not know. So then I found out what? The business opportunity. The esports, esports is just electron. Esports stands for electronic sports or competitive sports. It's when you're in a team environment of five or six people per team playing one another. And areas, primarily some of the more popular games you might hear or your children hear, Activision, Call of Duty, Riot Games, League of Legends, Madden and NBA 2K primarily do have an, a component where you can play competitively, but use this one-on-one. So you guys listen to this. The esports, the gaming industry, and gaming is everything else. The gaming industry, is a $160 billion industry. That's wow. larger than music on a global basis. That's larger than the music and the movie industry combined. The movie and music industry is approximately $70 billion. So it is double that, okay? So now do I got your attention? You got it. We're talking about global international business. <laughs> now, Within the U.S., I found out that there are over 250 predominantly white institutions, PWIs for short, that has some type of esports program, curriculum, club team, uh, or lab. As of January 2020, when I launched, there were zero for HBCUs. Again, all we want in, in, in the country for everybody is equality and the opportunity to grow. Right. And so I saw this as an opportunity. And so I put together a proposal, talked to my division head, my department head, uh, presented to the department head and to the president and develop a curriculum. My president is, was relatively new, but he was, relative, he was astute because he was into finance and he's also a lawyer. So he understood the opportunity because what I brought to him 
is the situation to bring more students, attract more students to the to the school right. by providing esports, gaming, curriculum, club teams, what have you, as well as drive incremental revenue, which is what he wants to hear. And uh, we put together the program. I worked with my department head, and within a year, we were able to develop curriculum, a certification program. We uh, started a club team, which now has approximately 25 students in less than a year. And again, to give you a, a understanding, Johnson C. Smith has approximately 1,500 students on the smaller end of HBCUs. The, the HBCU that has the most students right now is North Carolina A&T out of Greensboro, North Carolina. They have about 11,000 students. So again, mm -hmm. HBCUs are considerably smaller than a lot of your power five schools. Michigan, Texas, where I went to grad school, those schools have 40, 50,000 students. So we built the program and everything else we started growing. These these t-shirts are from Point3. Love it. Point3 is a brand new esports gaming apparel company out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that might be interesting. I'm gonna give you guys some more interesting here. These glasses <laughs> come from CEB. It is a it is it was founded by Jalen Smith and a partner at um, who's a, a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. Mm. Again, he built this glass company and these glasses basically cut down on the filtration, of course, on your screen. So like a, a blue tint technology, so to reduce eye strain. And if you're a gamer who's sitting in front of a screen three, four hours a day practicing, that makes a difference. So we were able to do that and um, develop relationships within the industry. And I started selling, right? I don't have any money, but I know how to sell. So I did a deal with Riot Sports Games. They gave me 25 of these, these chairs for my uh, for my lab, okay? Hmm. Nacon Sports. They gave me 40 of these for my lab. Just That's just relationships. What did we talk about before? They saw the mutual beneficial in it. Right. It's not always about money, but what can you give me in kind? And then, of course, we talked about scholarships. We talked about internships. And that's how we've grown. And then I developed a relationship with community, spelt with an X, C-X-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. Yep. And we, again, created a 501c3 in February of 2020. At the same time I was launching, I met Ryan and Chris about the same time. They found me on LinkedIn. Again, LinkedIn, right? <laughs> they right. saw what I was doing in the space. It was like, okay, this cat's a businessman. He's done corporate. He's a military. I guess that some of that might have attracted him. And then we've been, you know, just doing our thing together. Community's goal is to close the digital divide, leveraging STEM and STEAM technology uh, for K through 12, underserved K through 12 and HBCU students mm. and leveraging their passion for esports and gaming. If we can use that as the hook to get them interested in education and not just STEM, STEAM. Yes, we need more engineers, software engineers, game developers, all of that. But you still need supply chain people marketers, research, sales, admin within the industry with both endemic and non-endemic companies. So right. I will pause there, but that's how we got started. Love that. So community with an X and that's C, it, it looks like C-X-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. -M -M right. and, and the website is .co, not C-O-M, is .co. We'll include that in the show notes. So folks, folks got to check that out. We got to tackle this digital divide. I mean, you know, the pandemic really has exacerbated the the need and, and the distance of this divide, right? Um, and there's t tons of, of research about it, especially when we moved into, you know, sheltering at home and, and folks that didn't have the wherewithal, the internet, the, the equipment 
to make or sure the, the mobile kids... hotspots. They That's didn't right. have the internet or the facilities. Yeah. Just real quick, Scott. Yeah. One of the great first successes we had with community when we were we put together a telethon last year, the first weekend in May. We raised over $100,000 basically doing, think about it as a virtual celebrity telethon. Michael Strahan, who's an HBCU graduate from mm -hmm. Texas Southern, Good Morning America host, was on there. We had a plethora of other people on there. Natalie. Just a bunch of, uh, remember of big the time names. We had, a, we had a bunch of people of different ilk. We raised over $100,000, and a lot of those dollars went to K-12 through and HBCUs to help students do distance learning. This was the beginning of the pandemic, remember? Yeah. Last May. And I was able to secure 25 laptops for my Johnson C. Smith University student athletes who were lacking, mm -hmm. who were at home and couldn't do distance learning. So that's what we were able to do. And we're like, hey, we're on to something. Then that led to other things. Twitch saw what we did. That led to a two-year partnership with Twitch. Then we started doing more. Microsoft saw what we did. We have a three-year strategic partnership with Microsoft. And I mentioned those two because you don't get any bigger than Microsoft and Amazon, which, right. Twitch, which Amazon bought Twitch for $950 million a few years ago. Well, so hey, that, that just led to more things for us. I love it. Next time y'all do the telethon, please let us know. We're in. We'll, we'll, we, that is such a the digital divide. There's, there's a lot of great needs out there, uh, but the, here in the information age, the priority, the priority of, of how we, we've got to tackle that has really risen up the chart. So, hey, let us know we're in. I'll answer phones. I'll take the trash out, whatever, to, to, to raise more money to tackle that. So um, count us in. All right. So let's make sure. So folks will, uh, for community, will include that, uh, that wonderful nonprofit in the show notes. Of course, Vets to Industry uh, uh, will include that.com in the show notes. Um, you know, if you had to share, you've got so much going on, which I love. It's, it is, uh, it's exciting. Anything else that you want to touch on before we start to wrap here? You know, the big yeah, projects well, you're working on. Definitely for certain, because uh, I am a, a, uh, an entrepreneur also. And uh, I'm not going to say struggling. I'm a blessed entrepreneur and I continue to grow. So right now, yes, I'm, I'm juggling my, my day job and corporate. But the Nama Group LLC, that's the name of my company. N-A-R-M-E-R -E group. My website is www.thenarmagroup.com. I specialize in strategic marketing, focusing in the sport entertainment industry, as well as small business and government contracting. I just met with some gentlemen yesterday. My, I had three meetings yesterday, which was the first time I've had three in-person meetings since last March. Man, so again, um, you can check out my site. I love doing uh, work. I also do social impact and DEI. You will also see my accomplishments on my site, many of them within the sport entertainment and esports gaming area, because that's what I've been doing over the past year and a half. So again, the Narmer Group, LLC. Again, N-A-R-M-E-R. -E I'm also on LinkedIn, so please look me up. And the other passion point is, is again, being of service. Uh, one of the things I wanted to share for those of you who are in similar situations, we all go through things, but the Lord will never put more on us than we can bear. I have a wife that's a multiple myeloma thriver. Three years ago, she was going through multiple myeloma, which is a bone cancer, and I had to take care of her. I'm a caregiver for both of my parents who I moved from Washington, D.C. five years ago. 
My mother has Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. but the Lord has put me in a place and blessed us to continue to grow. And now that I'm stabilized with both of them, I can focus more on business. So again, just like the pandemic, if life gives you lemon, you just go out and make great lemonade and just continue to be persistent. Mm. You know, some days are going to be three steps forward and four steps backward. That doesn't matter because you're going to have days when you have five steps forward and no steps backward. So I just continue to uh, inspire everyone, whether you're corporate or entrepreneur, just pursue your passion and what's great for you. I'm always open to relationships. I share with you what my mantra is regarding business. And, um, you know, I look I, for those of you who are transitioning, please check out Vets to Industry and other veteran resources for you. Lastly, I did not share, but I will share. There's one more organization, Scott, I would like to say. Sure, please. It's called Warrior GMR. And Warrior GMR, they asked me to be on their board too, but we focus on the, the problem of our veteran suicide rate. You know we're losing 22 veterans or military members per day due to suicide. Our goal is to advocate and stop that. And you can look at Warrior GMR, Gamma, Mary, uh, Ryder, Romeo, Romeo um, <laughs> to find that out. It's been a minute for me. And um, again, we just have a patriot. He's out of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Josh Otero, he is the founder. And I've met him in the esport industry. He makes basically think about this. He makes the Gatorade version for esport gamers. It's a powder drink and it's to help with hydration and mental clarity, all those type of things. But that's how we met within the industry. That's so that's all I want to share. And I'm always open to relationships, uh, mutually beneficial relationships. That's that's what I will end with, Scott. So, John, uh, you see that wall behind me, right? Yes. Well, you got me pumped up. I might be running through that here after the last hour with you. I, I mean, really, you, you are clearly an inspiration. And um, I love all that you're doing. I love the entrepreneurial side, of course, because that resonates as a fellow entrepreneur. But as a fellow veteran, I cannot remember the gentleman's name, and he's going to kill me. But he really made – he really – I had a eureka moment on one of the earlier shows here. He, he really talked about how veterans – have a proven track record that once they, you know, exit or separate or retire, what have you, they just keep on giving, they keep on giving. And, and, and it really never really, did. it makes perfect sense, but it never really dawned on me that I really, how true that is. And, and you're really uh, an illustration of that. So I admire what you do. I admire all that you help and Holy cow. I bet your business is blowing up and, and, and well, there's no I'm, wonder. I'm, I'm ready for it to blow up more so I can hire more people. And I'll end with this. Yeah. I have nothing but high regard to my veterans. My father was a veteran for two years after college. And before he went to professional football, he played with the first two Denver, Denver Bronco football teams. My father-in-law, who just passed earlier this year, was a veteran of the Korean War. My, my grandfather was a veteran of the Korean War. I have my flag, but that's my grandfather's flag behind me. And it's just to share that we all need to cherish this country that we have. Mm. Is it perfect? Heck no, nothing's perfect. But we can all be of service and love one another. Doesn't take much to love one another. Mm. Just go out and touch somebody, try to be objective. And, and this is one mantra that I live with that I'll share with you, Scott. Always be awkward mm. because you know what you're doing when you're being awkward? You're pushing yourself. You're trying yourself. 
Just like the first time I had to rappel down, I did Australian rappel down the wall or had to do a free flight and uh, jump. Always be awkward and challenge yourself. That's how you grow and be of service to others and just go out and try to love everybody. I love that. Have the intellect, have the spiritual resilience to just do good, even when others are doing bad to you. It's better to walk away than to go into conflict. Mm. Why go into conflict? Mm. So I, I'll just leave that because I know of the social impact and we're all brothers and sisters of the skin. Mm. It doesn't matter what your melatonin is. Well, well said. There's, there's so much there. Gosh, we could, we could bolt on another hour, but we'll have to have you back. You know, maybe we can do some of these together. But uh, we've been talking with John L. Cash, and and you can see this is very uh, representative of the the phone call we had. I'm like, we got to get this guy uh, on the show and and get him to share his story and, and his POV with our our listeners. So thanks so I'm much. I'm sorry, I got to interrupt, Scott. Yeah, but Scott, you are a blessing. So I'm <laughs> thankful to be on your show. You are of service, and I will pray for your continued prosperity for you and your family because this that. is what we need is more of this. And for everybody on this show, please appreciate and support Scott as best you can. Uh, I'm yeah. thankful for you, man. And vice versa. I really, I really, that means a lot to me. Uh, what you do means a lot to us. It's, it's, it's helping our veteran community and, and, and far beyond. So we'll have you back on soon. We'll have to do some more of these right. together, but we've been talking with John L. Cash, uh, tied to a lot of initiatives groundbreaking many in many ways and uh, make sure make sure at a minimum you connect with john on linkedin at a minimum but uh, you'll have the show notes for where you can check out some of the initiatives we've talked about here okay folks so with oh, air force uh, that's right so <laughs> hey hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as i have i tell you john it's a pleasure to be around we invite Take you care, to guys. Uh, find veteran voices wherever you get your podcast from subscribe for free so you don't miss conversations just like this one hey if you're a veteran you got something to share you got a story to share hey reach out we'll see if we can't fit you into our production schedule but most importantly be sure to check out vets2industry.com our partners they're doing great work nonprofit work for our fellow veteran community on that note on behalf of our entire team here at veteran voices scott luton signing off hey do good give forward be the change. Be just like John L. Cash. Yeah. And we'll see you next time right here at Veteran Be Voices. better than John L. Cash. Peace, y'all. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.